Hi, and welcome to the Allplane podcast, here talking with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. And as usual, before I introduce today's guest, let me remind you that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the Allplane website. That's allplane.tv, A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E.tv. Our guest today is Helmut Meyer, an aviation entrepreneur working on a very special project to decarbonize air travel. Aviation H2 is an Australian startup that aims to power aircraft with ammonia. We could consider this as a subset of the hydrogen economy that so many headlines is generating lately. There are quite a few entrepreneurs out there experimenting with hydrogen in different forms as a fuel for aviation, but what it's not so common is to use hydrogen in ammonia form. Actually, the chemical formula is NH3. Ammonia is typically used to make fertilizers, and it actually has a history in aviation as well. In the 1960s, it powered the North American X-15, which still today is the fastest manned powered aircraft ever to fly. Well, some people say would say it's a rocket, but, but yeah, still, that record still stands. Helmut and his team at Aviation H2 think that it's actually time to look again at ammonia as a potential fuel for aviation, for aircraft. They have secured a number of engines and a whole Dassault Falcon 50 executive jet to start testing this concept in the coming months. So let's travel virtually to Australia to listen to what Helmut Meyer, the co-founder and director of Aviation H2, has to say about this technology, the status of this project, and the prospects of ammonia becoming the aviation fuel of the future. Hello, Helmut. How are you? Hello, Miguel. I'm very well, thank you. Good afternoon to you because you are a few hours ahead of me in Australia, right? Yes, just a few. Uh, so it's it's about five o'clock in the evening here. Yeah, so it's about I think eight hours difference from I'm I'm yeah. based in in Barcelona at the moment recording this. Yeah, I really wanted to speak with you because I came across your very interesting project, Aviation H two which is basically the project to fly an aircraft using liquid ammonia. But before we get into the details, I, I just wanted to um, basically, like every guest, to uh, ask you to introduce yourself and a little bit of, uh, give us a little bit of your background and basically how did you end up working in this type of projects? Yes, thank you, Miguel. So um, I, I've, I've been an engineer for a long time, although I did start out life as a pilot. Um, so after, after I left school, uh, got my pilot's license, uh, flew commercially in Australia for about 10 years or so. Um, struggled to get into the airlines, struggled to get my hours up. We had uh, a pilot strike and, and fate took me down the path of uh, studying engineering. I studied aerospace engineering at the time because it was very interesting. Together in a double degree with, um, with psychology because it was very interesting. And I applied the engineering in the mining field. My father had a design office for mining machines, machines for the continuous handling of bulk materials. And um, as remarkable as it seems, but there's a lot of similarity between the two fields. There's a heavy focus on structures and mechanics, and that helped me a great deal to study aerospace engineering and to be able to apply that in that other field. Um, and so for many years, I did actually work in, in that industry, 
um, designing machines, designing complex shiploaders, for example, reclaimers, um, stackers uh, from ground up, um, mechanically, structurally, and through to the uh, safety functionality, which are then signed off. And so I've, I've got a lot of experience in applying design process and um, using multiple disciplines to deliver complex designs into the field in a short time. Mm-hmm. And in all that time, I, um, I kept up my interest in aviation and um, I asked a lot of questions about it. I formed a partnership with my brother Christoph to develop this engineering business. And together we've been speaking about entering the decarbonization industry for some time, like 10 years ago, we started talking about this. Well, that's early, early on because right now there is a lot of um, talk about this, but 10 years yeah. ago, it was really, not even 10 years ago, I, I remember starting to look into what was going on in this space about two, three years ago when it, yeah. it was much smaller than it is now. Yes, 100%. And, and really, we, we, we should be, should have been where we are now. We should have been 10 years ago. I mean, the climate, climate warming has been a topic, a hot topic for decades. It's mm-hmm. not new. We've yeah. known about the problem for some time. And Christopher and I knew that it would become urgent at some point, And we knew that we had to act. You know, it's people, everyone in the world yeah. has to act locally, globally, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we talked about how to apply our engineering skills to the problem to make our contribution to that. And um, that included various endeavors. We did some, we did some uh, research into automation of drones. We did some research into, and that was my background, but we also did some research into the, the production of carbon-free energy, transportable energy, so hydrogen, basically, mm-hmm. um, and a number of other derivatives of that. We spoke with investors about it. Um, there was a few things that were back, went backwards and forwards. There wasn't quite enough moment, momentum in that. And then um, recently, the opportunity arose to work with, with um, Liberty Energy Capital um, to, to come up with a project to make an aircraft fly in carbon-free fuel. And so we, we were ready to, form, to, to, to join that partnership and apply our engineering skills and our knowledge that we've gained over the years to that specific problem. And so, so and, uh, sorry, Energy Capital is a partner company, is an in, investing company. The, the company Aviation Hatch Two is a partnership among a number of a number of people and groups, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> we, we are the engineering side of things, and then the others are uh, c- uh, capital side of things. Okay. So we work together to 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 promote, to market, to raise capital, to deliver the engineering, mm-hmm. and all those things are necessary to. Um, deliver a project like this. Neither Christoph nor I nor our other partner, Greg, who is in the aviation space, none of us have any illusions that um, the project like this can't be done or that it could possibly be done without close attention to the commercial side of things. It's not sustainable to try and do this without um, using capital, without using finance, without delivering wealth, Mm -hmm. productivity, all those issues. So, yeah. so we're working together to make all those things happen for the project. It's very important that we work towards a way of doing this commercially in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. I mean, right, right now, there's a lot of focus on getting the te- technology going, and that has to be. It's, it's, it's new. Um, we, 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 uh, we set ourselves a mandate to achieve an outcome, and the first thing we did was to study existing technologies very carefully to mm-hmm. understand what we could and could not use 
off the shelf. Uh -huh. And we controlled for um, development very tightly. So we, we, we analyzed what technologies, what steps we had to develop ourselves, what research we had to do. Uh, and we minimized that by using existing technologies if we possibly could, so that we don't end up having to spend years and decades trying to develop a new thing that's, that's too far away. That's the role of other people like Boeing and Airbus. That's not our role. Mm -hmm. So you um, basically chose this technology using liquid ammonia and yes. you plan to basically modify some engines and, and fit them into an existing airframe, right? I've seen on your website, you, uh, I've seen some, some pictures of, a, of an executive jet and I've seen also you, one of your partners is an operator of, of uh, Dassault Falcon executive jet so can you tell us a bit more about how you plan to do this because your company isn't what i would say like the let's say the, the hydrogen economy but you have this very specific approach which is using liquid ammonia which is uh well i I'll, i will ask you now to explain us a little bit more about the chemistry of this but basically it's, it's quite a novel way of of uh of, of using this hydrogen in in aviation well um, well, not novel, maybe, because I know there are some historical precedents, but, but let's say it's a, a very um, particular way to do it, right? So let, let's, go, let's go back a step. Yeah. So we, we did this study for mm -hmm. our purpose, right? So we didn't say, in general, we think this is the way aviation is going to go. We said, these are the things that we can do and need to do to be able to achieve flight with carbon-free fuel by this time. And what we did is we, had a, we analyzed a number of paths of doing this. So power paths, we call them. Um, and the power path is the entire system of um, fueling the aircraft, storing the fuel on the aircraft, transferring the fuel from the fuel storage system to the power generation system, uh, and then transferring the power to the thrust generation system, and then defueling the aircraft um, at the end of the flight. Okay, so it's the entire system. It's not just the engine, it's the fuel system, it's the engine, it's the fuel storage system. And we had a look at, for each of those power parts, and there was a number of them there. So we looked at battery electric, we looked at hybrid methods, we looked at liquid hydrogen, we looked at gaseous hydrogen, we looked at ammonia, liquid ammonia, gaseous ammonia. We looked at various amines. So there are different methods of storing hydrogen again. And we had a look at what, what it would take to uh, modify an aircraft for a one-hour flight profile and whether we could fit it into the weight budget that we had available on the existing aircraft to make that happen okay yeah. and we selected a specific aircraft and we selected um, a specific flight profile and then we went and did the work to to evaluate exactly those things so it's weight it's volume it's energy and the two most favorable systems were liquid hydrogen and ammonia and what can you tell us about this uh, liquid ammonia and how is it different from, from the liquid hydrogen? Can you tell us a bit more about the chemistry of, of how this works? Yes, so, so liquid ammonia is a carrier of hydrogen. That's, that's the best way to say it. So aviation H2, although we're using liquid ammonia, we are using hydrogen because ammonia is a carrier of hydrogen. And mm -hmm. H3, right, that's ammonia. Yeah. In, mm -hmm. in fact, one of the curious statistics is that if you take a cubic meter of ammonia, 
-hmm. you can fit more hydrogen into that cubic meter than if you took a cubic meter of pure hydrogen. Yeah, actually, um, just a, a parenthesis here. I think I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert in this, but I, I think ammonia is one of the ways that exists to take hydrogen and, and basically transport it from, from one place yes. to another, right? So you can produce That's hydrogen possible. in one place and, and by yes. converting it into, into ammonia, you can then move it. Uh, I was about to say right. easily. I don't know if easily is the word, but, but you can... Well, there are technologies much, that allow you to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> much, much more easily. You know, like um, mm -hmm. hydrogen is either going to be highly pressurized as mm -hmm. a gas. Mm -hmm. And we're talking on an aircraft, we would have to select 700 bar of pressure. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of pressure for a gas. That's a lot mm -hmm. of strain energy in that gas. Or you have to carry it cryogenically, meaning at minus 253 degrees C. That's mm -hmm. very cold. Yeah. The tank systems to do that are quite complex. Um, and, and so, and so then the, we're thinking about how to fuel and refuel and defuel the aircraft. The thing with cryogenic hydrogen, liquid hydrogen, which is, which is the path that some people have gone, is you, you need to have a liquefier at the airport and you need to load the fuel onto the aircraft using cassettes. And then at the end of the flight, you still have reserves left. You don't want to release them into the atmosphere. That would not be sustainable. So you need to take those cassettes out again, put the fuel back into the liquefier. So you have a fueling and defueling operation for each flight. Yeah. And, but what about ammonia? How do you uh, store it? What sort of, so, of uh, requirements? Yeah. Yeah. So liquid ammonia um, at the moment is, is stored industrially at industrial quantities, very much like liquid petroleum gas, so the LPG. Uh -huh. It's it's got a tank and slightly pressurized. So slightly meaning you know, 10 bar, 11 bar or so. We are actually going to pressurize a little bit more. Um, we've selected 35 bar as the pressurization. We may need less after experimentation. But the reason we did that is because we need to keep the, the ammonia liquid under a great range of atmospheric conditions including on the tarmac in the summer heat with very hot temperatures under the wing mm -hmm. okay so so we, we're using a relatively high pressure but it's actually very moderate when compared to gaseous hydrogen and 35 bar is, is entirely manageable what, what are the volumes because one of the one of the main issues of with hydrogen is that people that have seen these uh, renderings of potentially new designs for hydrogen power aircraft is that you need a lot of space for the tanks to, to store them. Uh, how does it work with ammonia? You, do you also need these huge tanks uh, fitted somehow in the, in yes. the plane? You need, for the same amount of chemical energy stored, you need about 2.6 times the volume of Jet A. Mm -hmm. right? okay. It's a lot. Right? So if you now mm -hmm. say, okay, we'll build a fuel system that has the same amount of Jet A, you've got a bit over a third of the range uh -huh. of the aircraft, right? That, that's problematic. The other thing that's happened though is, is, is when, you, when you have a look at the amount of chemical energy that's stored on a jet, like a, a Falcon 50 or an Eclipse mm -hmm. 550 or whatever, it's a lot more than what you actually use to convert to thrust. And I'm talking about 10 times more. I'm talking about the overall system efficiency being you know, pretty low. And we've seen cases where it's 0.1. And um, this is going to be a problem for all of the alternative fuels because mm -hmm. uh, the same problem applies to, to hydrogen. Hydrogen's got a very high energy density, but it's very light and it's very, yeah. and it's very low density. And so you need a lot of volume. 
Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. not just weight, it's also volume. With a hydrogen, you need a lot of volume, but you still need a lot of weight because the tanks that you need to put in place to carry the fuel are heavy. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the storage system is still heavy yeah. and you still have the same problem. So mm -hmm. there is a need to improve efficiency to get the range back. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that. Um, that would be the case whether you use hydrogen or whether you use ammonia or something else. Uh -huh. uh, and, that, and, and one of the things that's, that comes out when you study it in that, this much detail is that, yeah, there's a good reason why we use Jet one in the past. It's very convenient. It is incredibly convenient, actually. Yeah. But the thing is, it's no longer acceptable. You, you, we, cannot, we cannot continue to blow carbon into the air um, yeah. beyond 2030. We just, we just can't do it. We need to take as much out as we put in, at least. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Probably less. So yeah. basically, the system that you propose, well, you're developing the, the system not just to, to uh, store this ammonia, but also you're going to be using it directly as a fuel, so burning this ammonia as a as a propellant for the for the aircraft technically what does this involve because you need to you're going to use an airframe that exists you're going to fit yes. the system into the airframe and yes. what you need to do here is first find a solution for obviously the storage then find a way for the engine which i i assume is an existing engine i read in your website that you recently procured some engines to do some testing so you're going to retrofit yep. an existing engine so that it can work on by burning ammonia instead of jet fuel so how does this work we, you don't need to go too much into the technical detail maybe but just to get an idea of of how this whole system will work and and what is the part that you um are developing with your own technology because obviously the airframe you're procuring and uh in, in the market, whether your partners, yep. and then the jet engines is you're retrofitting also an existing jet engine, right? Yes. So, so the first thing, the first thing to note about this is that when you when you burn ammonia at the right fuel air mixture, and it's called the stoichiometric mixture, it has a very similar, that's just slightly higher burn temperature compared with burning jet A or kerosene at the correct mixture for the kerosene. And what that means is provided that we work with the correct mixture, we'll have a very similar temperature in the combustion chamber. And that's what provides the thrust. It's the step in temperature that provides you with the energy to drive the compressor and the fan. And so um, what we need to do is we need to, we need to convert the fuel system to feed the corrected amount of liquid fuel into the combustion chamber to give us the same burn energy and because they're very similar burns that that will be relatively straight straightforward where the difficulty lies is that the ammonia flame propagates slower than the kerosene flame and so sorry what does it mean that it gets uh, it gets slower what what does it mean in practical terms so it, it, it burns less fast back towards where the air and the fuel are coming from so you can if you if you blow too much air through the combustion chamber, it'll blow the flame out with it. But the so, flame can't keep up with the amount of fuel and air that's coming through the combustion chamber. But in, in, in terms of practical performance, uh, what, what, is it, what is the implication? So what, what that means is that we need to modify the way we're, we, are, we are operating the combustion chamber to make sure that the flame, the ammonia flame, burns stably throughout the flight. That was one of the okay. key questions that we had. However, we, we were able to identify and then build on research developments 
overseas mm -hmm. that addressed exactly that question. And um, these research papers have provided the sort of parameters we need to think about and work with to get the flame to burn stably in the combustion chamber of the gen. And that's our, that's our biggest research part for the conversion of the engines, to make sure that the flame burns correctly. Okay, and what, what sort of performance are you then expecting to achieve, provided that everything goes according to plan? We expect to achieve matching performance, apart from fuel flows, like the, the quality of fuel going through the engine will be higher. So but, the, but delivery of thrust will be the same. The same as in jet fuel, in conventional jet fuel. Mm -hmm. And are there any side effects of this um, yes. that you want to avoid? I'm just thinking in terms of emissions and not just CO2, but other, other type of gases that might be produced. What is a, like the byproduct of this process? So there's there's two, two issues that we need to deal with. One of them is, believe it or not, vapor trails. It turns yeah. out that vapor trails are actually a pretty substantial part of global warming arising from aviation. Mm -hmm. And when you're burning a hydrogen-type fuel, you're ejecting more water out the back, which means the conditions for vapor trails will be present more often than with Jet A1. <clears throat> and that means that the vapor trails will actually contribute to global warming. However, work has already been done outside of our work, and we're just taking that up, is that there are ways of managing the vapor trails and mm -hmm. the, the opportunities for them to arise that we can use to avoid that problem, right? So, so we're not putting any research into that. We're, we're leaning on other people's research that's already going on and that already has borne some results. Everybody will be doing that. Um, so the emissions, vapor trail emissions will be, will be dealt with quite confidently. The other one is nitrous oxides emissions. Now, if you take any fuel and burn it in the presence of air, which has a lot of nitrogen in it, Mm -hmm. You end up with nitrous oxides in the in the exhaust pipe. The hotter the burn and the longer the burn is at that heat, the bigger the um, the nitrous oxides emissions. Now, I've already said we might recall that that the burn temperature is very similar, and so the the nitrous oxide emissions between the jet engines and the ammonia engines will also be similar, right? And with the hydrogen as well, the hydrogen will also have those issues. In fact, the hydrogen may have more issues because it burns hotter, quite a bit hotter. Like we're talking 20% water. So the way uh, all, all the engines, including Jet A1, normal engines, and SAFs, which is sustainable aviation fuels, they all have to deal with this issue because it's, it's, it's relatively new, but it has become legalized, a legalized requirement now to, to get rid of the nitrous oxides substantially. Mm -hmm. Now, the beauty about ammonia is, is we can use the ammonia to create a second burn in the tailpipe to break down those nitrous oxides. If we take a hydrogen plane flying, we have to have hydrogen in the tanks to fly the hydrogen, and then we have to have more tanks with ammonia mm -hmm. to break down the nitrous oxides. Ammonia, uh, I read that it was used by some experimental aircraft uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, That's right. but it so it, but it hasn't really been been used or, or even experimented with during all this time. So why do you think is, is the case? I mean, with all the talk that is going on about finding novel ways to deal with uh, carbon emissions and all that, why are, are, are we not seeing more, more activity in, in the field of uh, ammonia research? Let's put it this way. Well, this is, a, this is an interesting question. So in, in the 50s, they, they, they did 
try ammonia and various other methods, but it fell by the wayside because JetA is just so convenient, as already said. You know, it really, it really is quite extraordinary how convenient JetA is. Yeah, and that yeah. was the detriment of ammonia at that time. So now we're looking for replacements for JetA, and ammonia is coming back. Now, like you say, there's a lot of people have elected to use liquid hydrogen instead of ammonia, but that. Mm. I mean, I have spoken with the people who, who've made that decision and they said, well, we're taking a bit of a punt, right? And it's very early days. And when you look at the images that shows how this might work, you can actually see that the, that the cassettes of liquid hydrogen that they need to fit on board the plane might actually fit. What, what will be required is they will build new planes that are built around the liquid hydrogen tanks. Yeah, That's pretty substantial. Yeah. With problems. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, it, it, it isn't yet a complete given. And on several occasions, I've actually spoken with people and said, tell me why you're using ammonia? Because we think it should be ammonia, but everyone else is choosing liquid hydrogen. Cool. Well, look, we're taking a punt. We don't actually really know yet exactly how yeah. this is going to go. But what I can say for our purpose at this time, the ammonia is by far the easiest way of doing things. And um, I said before, liquid nitrogen and ammonia were very close together in the, in the weight and volume stakes. But in the usage stakes, the ammonia is much better. What about the whole supply chain? Uh, because that's another, another issue with hydrogen is how do you get yeah. all the infrastructure in place. I guess ammonia has a, a, a global supply chain, but I don't know how... Yeah granular that is in in terms of yes. being able to get to the airports because obviously now ammonia is, is being used for other things so yes. how difficult or how easy it is to to take it to the aviation space so what's going to happen here is that the the existing industrial uh, infrastructure needs to be increased by a factor of 10 mm -hmm. right but the thing is, the industrial infrastructure exists, the, the technology exists. And then multiplying something by 10 isn't such a big deal when you think about what's at stake here. Sorry, when you say multiply by 10, are you referring to the production capacity? Yeah, the, the, volume, the volume of ammonia that needs to be delivered to market. To, uh, so a factor of 10 would be to achieve what, what goal, what type of volume? This is in the hypothetical scenario that that the aviation industry changes from jet a to okay um, so to replace jet a completely yeah. uh, okay yeah. okay yeah. that's yeah tall order <laughs> but yeah. uh now say, say let's think about an airport in mm -hmm. the middle of africa mm -hmm. will they put in an ammonia tank which is a bit like an lpg tank mm -hmm. or will they put in a liquid hydrogen tank right mm -hmm. now obviously if Qantas rings up and says you need to land in your airfield and we need to have liquid hydrogen, they're going to have to find a way of getting liquid hydrogen there. Mm -hmm. But if they have a choice, it's going to yeah. be a lot easier to put mm -hmm. in ammonia, a lot easier. Yeah. Because the liquefaction plant is small, you know, that's not, that's, that's high technology. That's not uh -huh. a trivial task. You wouldn't need to freeze it to minus 253 degrees, I guess, but but still, would you need to build yeah. build infrastructure from scratch? So there's going to be lots of piping and, and, and tanks and, and other stuff that will need to be built? Or could it well, potentially do, use the you existing do, one? 
Sorry, are you talking about the ammonia or the liquid hydrogen? Uh, ammonia. I mean, can it use existing physical infrastructure or it would need to be built from scratch? Well, probably not. It's a bit like when you introduced LPG into petrol stations. Mm -hmm. Petrol stations had to come up with a, a bit of real estate yeah. and the piping put it in a tank. Okay. Above ground. It had to be above ground. The others, the petrol tanks were underground, still mm -hmm. are. But you've okay. got a big tank that's above ground, right? So you have to you have to get a spot, put some concrete down, run some pipes to the bowsers, mm -hmm. build a tank. Okay. Now for for an airport, of course it needs to be a lot bigger than for a petrol station, but uh -huh. still a lot easier to do that than to build a liquefier for the airport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what about the market for ammonia at the moment? Is it a, is it a traded commodity? Is there a, a, a global market for it uh, that is actively traded on exchanges or something like that? That's a good question. I don't actually know that. Don't know. <laughs> but they, what, but what we, we, we're ringing up the local supply and saying, yeah. can we have some ammonia, please? And they say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. No, <laughs> no definitely there, there, there should be a global market for it with uh, uh, like sellers and, and, and takers. But I, I just don't know how how standardized is, you know, like other commodities where you would have like futures and options and, and trading yes. all the, all around the clock, you know? Almost certainly yeah. in the process of multiplying the in existing industry by a factor of 10 within 15 years, mm -hmm. that will happen. It will be a global commodity. Yeah. It will be traded on stock markets. No, definitely at the markets, scale. Yeah. yeah. If, if it gets to scale for sure. Contract, it'll, it'll have to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, tell me a bit more about the plane. You are planning to use a, a Falcon jet or, or that's just something that it's uh, kind of uh, tentative at the moment? We have decided on the Falcon 50 and um, the, the, there are some very specific reasons for that. Our original study was done on an Eclipse 550, which is a very large jet, a new class of aircraft. There was a couple of issues with that in the end. It suited our purpose for doing the calculations and we still have it in the, in the documents. Mm -hmm. But we've also adjusted those calculations for the Falcon 50 now. So mm -hmm. we, we know what the, what the step is. Mm -hmm. the, the problem with the Eclipse was it's a new type of aircraft. There was, although there was a type certification for a precedent like the Falcon, the, the Eclipse 500 in Australia, if we're going to use Eclipse 550, we would have had to get a type rating in Australia. We would have had to get training for mechanical personnel, training for also the personnel to try and get this thing to fly in Australia. Pilots, mm -hmm. Uh, operating certificate, everything. And that would have been time consuming and costly. The other problem was is because the, the, the very large jets are built for the purpose of being a small transport for people, they don't have much weight overhead. So so the our weight balance was very tight. Okay. And so when we then said, okay, let's have a look at alternatives, one of the suggestions was the Falcon 50. And the reason for the Falcon 50, it's, I mean, it's a much bigger plane. It's got engines that are four times the size and there's three of them instead of two um but you could you can buy one they're readily available they're they're well known in the australian marketplace the skills are in australia um we can buy one that's near the end of its life it's just uh -huh. got just enough life left for our purposes which is to test this these principles and demonstrate the technology uh, and so the cost came right down yeah so the the the, the falcon 50 we were able to use uh, an, an older plane that was nearly out of time, but had enough time on it mm -hmm. for us to, um, to work with it. And so we could buy cheap engines and for testing and the, um, the, the hourly flight costs would, would reduce. 
And so there was a lot of benefit to be had. Even the, the cost ended up being about the same, but we're using a much bigger airplane. Mm -hmm. Big benefit was the fact that we had a much better weight budget to work with, much better. And we've got three engines and it's got enough thrust in those engines. So the, the plane is actually certified in Australia to fly, to take off and fly on two engines for okay. certain purposes. Okay. And we'll be able to use those purposes in our experimental flights. So what we can do is we can modify one engine, we can take the plane flying okay. out of Einstein Airport, which is which is which is close to lots of built up areas where you normally can't fly an experimental aircraft. Mm -hmm. and then fly to areas where it is safe to test things and we can start testing the engine. And okay. when we're done, we'll down and fly it back. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a big benefit for the program. So is that where you are right now in, in this project? You procured this air, aircraft? Is this already being worked no. on? Uh, we, ha we have people in the field looking for suitable aircraft. Uh -huh. But before we actually buy it, we will demonstrate that we can control the fuel burn. Correctly. Okay, because I read on your website that you have recently got uh, three engines for, for testing, right? Those well, are separate? Yes, we're in the process of getting them. It'll be it'll be some time before we actually get them into our workshop. Because so, one, one thing that we'll do is before we actually get the engines to our workshop, we will have them uh, separated. We'll have a cold, uh, hot section inspection. Uh -huh. And we will, we will analyze what the pre-existing condition is of, of the, uh, the turbines. Okay. So that we know afterwards what the damage is that we are causing. Mm -hmm. But but okay. first you you're going to be testing this engine separately on the ground, right? Without yes. without the airframe, and yes. if they if if everything goes as expected, then you would fit those engines in in the plane. Is that right? Plane, yeah. So, okay. so the way the way this program is planned to run is is the first step in our test cell is to actually test the flame, and then we'll we'll fine tune our design of the fuel system, and then then the refined design will go into a test engine and the test engine will then be fired and we'll know that we can make the flame burn correctly. Then we'll proceed with purchasing a plane. But at the same time, we'll continue to do our testing program for the engine because we have to characterize it. Fully. Okay. So I, that'll take some time, but we can start, once we know that the flame burns correctly, we can then start this, the design of the, of the modification of the aircraft and buy the aircraft. Okay. And what, what sort of engines are those? Where, where did you get them from? Yeah, the um, Garrett, now Honeywell, TFE-731s-3. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dash 3 is the, the Falcon 50. They've been updated for the more recent Falcons, mm -hmm. but the one that we're working on is the Falcon 50 engines. Mm -hmm. and what's the time frame for your project and what are the expected milestones in, in the near future? So the, 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 the next milestone is to have the, um, the flame burn on ammonia in a uh, tube. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, not a, that's not a jet engine, that's, that's a, a tube that we construct so that mm -hmm. we can measure the various parameters uh -huh. without having to deal with the complexity of the combustion chamber and the turbines. But what is that's the time the, frame? The what, what, like if we were to take a calendar for, for the next few years, what, what would be yep. the appro approximate? I know that that can be a bit tricky because obviously yep. many of these things need to be tested. But yes. um, what would be the approximate time frame that you are looking at? So we, we expect for the engines to be running in the test cell um, probably in two or three months' time. So say July, August. And then we'll start the process of designing the modification for the plane and making the plane modifications. So 
the first flight of the um or the first engine burn let's say on the aircraft will happen early in 2023 oh that's quite quite soon yes and then okay. and then by the by the middle of 2023 the plan is to have it have it running now to have the plane flying right on on one engine and depending on how the timeline goes um we'll have to have one running on, with all three engines on ammonia by maybe the end of 2023 but the key milestone is one engine in flight operating for a one hour flight profile which includes taxi takeoff climb cruise descent circling landing and taxiing back that's the mandate and that's planned for the second half of um 2023 okay so let's assume everything goes as expected what are the the bigger plans because this technology can you then scale it can you then license it to other OEMs what what's the what's the business plan behind this on the long term so the 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 the, the business plan is to to create two business streams one is the modification of existing aircraft so that people can fly their planes on carbon free fuel and so what that what that requires is that we go through a certification process which happens after the demonstration so that can take some time but while while we're working on the demonstration we are developing the certification plan together with the authorities CASA maybe even FAA it may have okay. to be the FAA and that'll be for one engine and airframe combination and then we have to do for other airframe and engine combinations we have to do other certification plans but the subsequent ones will be easier because we'll have to build on the learnings of the first one and reuse components um yeah, the other business stream will be to license to OEMs. Now okay. one of the key points that's coming out of discussions is the OEMs of intercontinental business jets they sell high performance luxurious aircraft. They cannot have us encroaching on the cabin or losing out on the uh, on the range. And so we're putting in some very specific plans to allow that mm-hmm. criteria to be met. And that actually is going to be done by having a combination of jet A and ammonia availability on board the aircraft. Okay, like a, a hybrid, a hybrid well, system. Actually, no, hybrid is a that's a term used for something else. So okay. I'm not using that here. Okay, um, it's a fuel fuel type arrangement. Let's call it that. Okay, interesting. The, the hybrid technology is something that we'll be looking at to improve improve the efficiency of the aircraft. Okay, interesting, and. Where can people find out more about all these plans that you have? Where would you send them to if they were willing to <laughs> to learn more about yeah. this? Well, um, uh, I'm getting a lot of questions. I'm getting questions from university students. I'm getting questions from investors. I'm getting questions from engineers, airliners, the whole hidden caboodle. And the way they find us is through the through the uh, media um, announcements that we make. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they um, appear in a variety of places. If you want to go specifically looking for some information, you can go looking for them on aviationh2.com.au. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or you can go look for us on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I'm gonna post the links on on the on the show notes. And in the meantime, you guys, you're based near Sydney, right? Is that yes, where you right. have your facility? In Sydney, yeah. Okay, very good. Well, definitely, it's a it's a very a very interesting project, very uh, very unique in many ways, um, which I think makes it stand out in this uh, increasingly crowded space of uh, alternative propulsion. Um, yes. But but 
yeah, that, that's what really caught my eye. So I will be uh, posting all these links to the show notes so that people can, can research further and, and, and find out more about you guys and what you guys are doing. And, and yeah, so uh, wishing you all the best with, uh, Thank with, you, with this project. And, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you. A pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Thank you.